Welcome to a Friday edition of Couch Potato Diary, once again from the lovely province of Saskatchewan, coming to you from a uh, traveling Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Clearwater Cleaning Solutions is your one-stop commercial and residential cleaning company based out of Calgary. They have a fantastic team who are ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all of your cleaning needs. Check them out online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. Check me out online, social media, Twitter and Instagram. I am at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. The music for the show is provided by Wasted Talent. Busy show coming up today. We got some hockey, baseball, and basketball to start, and then we will get into the Fightin' Friday portion of the show. Should be a good one. Thank you for tuning in today. Let's start quickly with the uh, the National Hockey League. Is the Calgary Flames in action tonight against the Vegas Golden Knights? And we talked the other day about the games for both of these teams, and I think there's a little bit to work on for both sides. For Calgary, this is one where you are going to need to put that complete performance together. You, you can't sleepwalk through this game much the same way you did against Seattle and hope for similar results. And again, these games don't mean a ton to the Flames at this point. They are pretty secure in first place. But I, I do think even with all the struggles that Vegas has had, this is a bit of a measuring stick game. This is a bit of a, are you at the place you think you are at right now? And where do you stack up against a team that has had, albeit some limited over the last couple of years, uh, for the most part, a great deal of playoff success and has been two points that this franchise wants to get to. I still ve view Vegas as that sort of a team. And this is an opportunity to really bury a team and also test yourself against a team that has a lot to play for. They didn't against Seattle. Let's see what that test looks like for the Flames. Jacob Markstrom in goal for the record, because this is going to be a, a conversation over the last couple of weeks. No problem starting Markstrom tonight. I think this is an all hands on deck game just to see where your club is at right now going up against Vegas. For the Golden Knights, I look at this as much more of a litmus test of where they're at than the Vancouver game. I thought they outplayed the Canucks and ran into a hot goalie, which again is weird to say because they scored four and that's a lot to say, well, yeah, and the offense kind of sputtered, but I, I thought they played really, really well and just didn't finish. Let's see if they can keep that high level up against one of the best teams in the league in the Calgary Flames. This is a massive game. The door has been opened a little bit by the Kings getting shellacked by Colorado the other night, which was, I mean... Kind of expected. We talked about how the Kings weren't going to go away. They also weren't going to beat Colorado. There's a bit of, you know, space in between those two. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how Vegas comes out in this game tonight because they have everything to play for. This is a desperate, desperate Vegas team. Can the Flames match that desperation? Not really. Probably not. It, it's very difficult to do that. Can they match their intensity, though, is going to be something that the Flames are going to, to try to do, as that this could be a, a playoff type of a game. They're going to be facing a team that feels like they're playing a playoff game. Can you match that from a Flames perspective tonight? I'm really interested in that. I, I think it's going to be quite intriguing. We have one more playoff matchup that is set, or a couple more play-in matchups, sorry, that are set in the NBA as the eighth place games going tomorrow. It will be Atlanta taking on Cleveland, and it will be the New Orleans Pelicans taking on the LA Clippers. For the, the two teams that are done for Charlotte, like this was a, a fun year for them, but there needs to be another step taken now. The East has got much more competitive. I don't see that falling off next season. So now, where does that growth come from? Ball? Fantastic. Um, 
like bridges that was inappropriate at the end and just inexcusable and just fucking gross <laughs> throwing the mouth guard into the stands there's room for him to to grow charlotte is on the right track how do they take that next step now is is going to be interesting but they're a fun team they're an exciting team and i think they're going to be hanging around at least the play-in races for a little bit for the san antonio spurs um could this be the end for greg popovich they, I think, exceeded a lot of expectations after the, the sign-and-trade with DeMar DeRozan. They have a couple of pieces that you like, but they're essentially kind of starting over. Like, I don't think DeJounte Murray is best player on championship team or build team around or bring key free agents to, to San Antonio. So there, there's still some growth there, but this is just invaluable experience for these young players on both sides, for Charlotte and for San Antonio. And I think this is an... Um, I, a lot of times we call them unintended side effects uh, or unintended consequences. I, I think this is an unintended perk of these games is that you have, like Charlotte would not be a playoff team otherwise, obviously. Same thing goes for San Antonio. They would not have played in this game. But now for these teams, even just this one game of experience kind of shows like what this atmosphere can be, what this pressure can feel like. And more so for San Antonio than for Charlotte. Charlotte just got their asses kicked by a team that was much better than them. For San Antonio... To battle back in that game, get it to within single digits, but eventually fall short. I think this is a good experience gaining night for them to be able to see, okay, what does it take to play at this high level now? As far as the other playing games are concerned in that um, eighth place matchup, it is the Hawks taking on Cleveland. I like the Hawks in this game. I really, really do. I think Atlanta is playing their best basketball of the season. I think there is the potential that Atlanta has, well, not the potential. I think they definitely have the best player in this game in Trey Young. He was fantastic in this game. And I just feel like, again, with no Jared Allen, it's been a great run for Cleveland, but I think it falls short. I think Cleveland is building something, but I, I think that they are running into a wall here with the Atlanta Hawks. And honestly, an Atlanta-Miami series is intriguing. Odds are Miami wins that one, but I think there's going to be at least a couple of games where Atlanta puts a bit of a scare into Miami. That, that's It's a, as about as fascinating as you can get in an 8-9 matchup, or an, sorry, an 8-1 matchup. And in the West, it is the Pelicans taking on the LA Clippers. I don't really have a good feel on this game. Um, it would be better if all the star players were playing. Like, could you imagine Kawhi and Paul George taking on Zion Williamson, CJ McCollum, and, and Brandon Ingram in a winner-take-all or loser-go-home type of a matchup? I think that would be phenomenal theater. Unfortunately, we are not getting that. And I just, I kind of feel like the Pelicans have the two best players in this game with Ingram and I, Paul George would be probably the best player in this game. I apologize. But have two of the three best players in this game with McCollum and with Ingram. I think the Pels get it done. I think they get curb stomped in the first round by um, by the Suns. But I think the Pelicans get this one done. I think it'll be fun to see. Other basketball note quickly, Ben Simmons could be back for game four. I'm going to see it um, before I, I actually believe it. And what use is he going to be for the, the, the Brooklyn Nets in that series against Boston? Where's that series going to be at by game four? There's so many questions surrounding this. And he changes so much of the offense at this point. I almost wonder if it's just better for Brooklyn to just not, you know, <laughs> like just, hey, sit this out to, to incorporate such a unique and also challenged player into your lineup at a key time for the first time is it seems like you're asking a lot. 
is all I'm saying. Lastly, on the non-face-punching sports is baseball and the otherworldly performance last night of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. If you've been living under a rock, he hit three home runs and had an opposite field double in the Blue Jays' 6-4 win over the Yankees. And not that there needed to be a welcome-to-superstardom night for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because he finished second in MVP voting and is on every... Um, like, hey, the season starts today, and then a bunch of star player pictures. He he is on there. He is going to be in the All Star game for at least the next decade. Like that, this is this is a already a superstar. But this was one of the bigger games of his career. Obviously, just like from home run perspective, but also setting the tone early on in this season against a Yankee team that you are going to be battling with all year long, and it's against maybe the best pitcher in the American League, at worst, a top three pitcher in the American League. Like, it's him, it's Bieber, and ugh, the, the the rest, like, you can make arguments for, but there aren't any that you can really, like, definitively say, oh yeah, this guy is in the Garrett Cole League. Like, that, that, that is the type of pitcher we were talking about, and Vladdy just annihilated him. And then, in the um, in the late game, what was it, the eighth inning, where he launched one into outer space for his third home run of the game. Just... The, the bat speed is incredible. Obviously, losing weight over the last couple of years has turned him into a better athlete, and so he is running the bases so much more effectively. Like, we, we are looking at, I think right now, the best player in the American League. Um, we, we need to see Trout stay healthy a little bit longer, and Shohei Otani is off to a bit of a slower start this season. It really looks like we are looking at the best player in the American League. And now, to have the Blue Jays in an opportunity to take three of four in the Bronx to start the season and send a fan base that was already a little bit teetering this year going into this season based off of a bit of a mediocre offseason for the Yankees to send them into a bit of a spiral would make my heart flutter. Uh, even so, like a, a split would be fine, but th this is a, I don't want to say foot on the throat because there's still 150 games left, but this is an early like, hey, Everyone's saying this team is all hype. This team is not all hype. This would be a great moment. And a, a big moment for, for Kevin Gosman. A lot of people questioning, a lot of people outside the Blue Jays questioning that move, saying that this is someone who really turned on, um, really turned it on in the National League West, which is different than the American League East. Well, now it is his time to show what he can do in the American League East again. Um, and then I'll be interested to see Severino tonight for the Yankees. He is, I, I think, a, we talked about him as an X-factor going into this season. They need him to be a legitimate number two. Both, both of these pitchers hold a lot of the fates of these franchises in their hands, so it's going to be an interesting matchup tonight. Last night, you knew you were going to get a good bounce back from Barrios, and I, I thought that fifth inning where the Yankees ambushed him for, for three runs, I thought that was one of those moments where you needed an experienced catcher out there. I, I think a veteran catcher who knew and kind of could read the situation. Just, okay, let's chill. Let These guys are obviously jumping on first pitches. Let's not continue to throw first pitch fastballs here. You know, like let's let's mix these things up a little bit. They have adjusted. Now we have to adjust in this situation. I get like, just stick to your strengths. But I, I thought a veteran catcher would have been able to adjust things a little bit more. And it, it really... It really bugged me. The the Donaldson double. I believe it was Donaldson who hit the double to tie the game. You just saw they are jumping all over you with first pitch whatever. And then they come back with a first pitch fastball. And it's just like, that's 
It's what they're doing. That's that, That's exactly what they're looking for. That's exactly what they want you to be doing. I, I thought there needed to be a bit of an adjustment, but overall, Barrios with an excellent bounce back, and you have to feel very good about that from a Blue Jays perspective going into the weekend. On the Clayton Kershaw front, 80 pitches took him to the seventh inning of a perfect game, an unbelievable uh, performance, and it would have been cool to see him pitch a perfect game. However, the Dodgers are not in this for perfect games in April. They need Clayton Kershaw in October. You, you saw what happened with the Dodgers last year uh, with, with no Clayton Kershaw. And I mean, their big free agent acquisition from a couple years ago, Trevor Bauer, probably isn't playing again this season. So they need Clayton Kershaw to be perfect in October, not perfect in April. I have zero issue with Dave Roberts with the, uh, the, the hook there. It would have been cool. It would have been great. It would have been awesome. But Dave Roberts isn't managing so that we can have cool, fun, fuzzy moments in April. He is managing to try to win another World Series. music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. You can find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. And you can find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. It is now time for Fighting Friday. We will begin in the world of boxing as the two biggest fights of the weekend went rather predictably as uh, Gennady Golovkin gets a ninth round knockout in Japan while Ryan Garcia needs to go the distance in his return bout. Um, Both of them did what they were supposed to do for Ryan Garcia. The result, I I think, was kind of secondary. I mean, if he would have lost, that would have been terrible, but it was just more, we need to see what this kid looks like again, coming off of so many changes, surgery, um, dealing with mental health issues, changes in his camp, so many different, just a year-long layoff, so many different things that we needed to see from Ryan Garcia, and I think we saw them all. The hand speed was there. That killer instinct was there. He was coming forward basically the entire fight. It was... I thought an impressive performance. Would it have been better to have the highlight knockout that he was talking about in the third round? Yeah, probably would have been better. And it looked like it was going to get there, but he didn't necessarily have a willing dance partner in to go who was definitely on the go, um, circling away from basically everything. Like there, there was just, there wasn't a whole lot of engaging. There wasn't a whole, there just... The, the fight didn't lend itself, I didn't think, to that opportunity. But also now for Ryan Garcia, he knows what it's like to go the distance. He knows what that does to his body, to his cardio. And th- this was a learning experience, I think, for him at the end of a year-long learning experience. And as far as he goes, up next for him, like I, I don't think you can go too high in terms of what we want to, to see from him. I think you just kind of firmly put him right back where he was before. If you want people ahead of him in the rankings, uh, a Javonta Davis fight would be great. Like all the guys who, and the rankings I go by are Ring Magazine, all the guys who are ahead of him right now, Javonta Davis, Devin um, Haney, uh, Lomachenko, Lopez, Cambosos. I know a lot of those guys have fights lined up right now. So, but again, the, the winners of any of them, Taking on Ryan Garcia, I don't think he's out of place. If you want someone behind him in the rankings, I, I think a matchup with Fortuno would be good. Uh, another, uh, I don't know if a Richard Comey fight does a whole lot for me, um, to be perfectly honest with you. Fortuna is the one below him in the rankings that kind of raises my eyebrows the most. So just a, a couple of guys to keep your eye on for, for Ryan Garcia. But once again, we are seeing the depth of some of these divisions as 135 pounds. We just listed off seven, eight, nine guys that you are excited to see fight. Cannot stress enough how great of a time this is for boxing. 
Also, we have um, Gennady Golovkin. We know what's next for him now. He, he is fighting Canelo Alvarez. There was nothing in this bout that made me think, oh man, Canelo is in trouble for a, a fight. Now, Canelo has a fight lined up for next month, which is like great, super duper, awesome. Um, this... He should win that fight, and then this should set up a match with, with Gennady Golovkin. I, I understand Canelo's trepidation. This feels more like Gennady just getting one more payday than Gennady having an opportunity to right a wrong on his resume from the, the, the previous two bouts with Canelo. You can make a case that he won both of them. He didn't on the judges' scorecards. We can have that conversation all day, but when you look at the records, those are losses for Gennady Golovkin. I don't, I don't think he presented anything in this bout in Japan that makes me think Canelo Alvarez is in any kind of danger. On to the UFC. I said they had one of their deepest fight cards in a long time, and I would say it delivered. Let, let's just run through some of these bouts now. We start in the welterweight division as top prospect Ian Gary taking on Darian Weeks. This is another one where you got to see the skills that Gary possesses. I don't, I mean, I was gonna say, I don't know if he necessarily had the most willing dance partner. He actually did. Like, Weeks was coming forward the majority of this fight and just not doing anything. Like, he, he definitely had respect for the striking of Gary and for the speed and uh, at which the counters were coming at him, but he just kind of came forward and just stood there. I, they were talking about, oh man, the, the, the dogged whatever. And I was like, I mean, look, you're tougher than I am. Could kick the shit out of me, no question about that. But I just thought for for this opportunity going up against top prospect, I, I needed to see a little bit more urgency, especially in that third round. It was just come forward, come forward, come forward. Hey, we clinched. We didn't do anything with the clinch, but we clinched. And then I'm gonna eat a thousand jabs, and and that is going to be that. So for Gary, I I, I would have liked to see him kind of put the pedal to the metal a little bit, but you got to see the, the skills that he has. The takedown defense is there, but it is the the quickness and accuracy with which the strikes come that makes him an intriguing prospect at a hundred and 70 pounds. In the middleweight division, it was Anthony Hernandez taking on Josh Fremd, uh, making his UFC debut on 10 days notice for Hernandez. It was a year-long layoff, and he was making up for lost time, as it was a relentless ground attack. This was a really fun grappling match to, to watch. I thought for Fremd, UFC debut, Facing a pressure fighter, I thought he handled it well. I thought he easily won the second round. There was a couple 30-27s on there that boggled my mind. I thought Fremd won that second round easily. Um, and if you're going to give all three rounds to Hernandez, I think you got to give the first round a 10-8. I thought he dominated control-wise. I thought he threatened enough with submissions where it looked like something could be tight and this thing could be ending that I think you have to give him a 10-8. But what I loved about Hernandez, and Felder brought it up on the broadcast, his ability to just so smoothly transition from takedown attempt to submission attempt to different submission attempt to different different submission attempt back to grappling for position, back to the feet, strike, 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 takedown attempt, submission attempt, on we go. I thought he just, he, he, he flowed so smoothly between all the different aspects of mixed martial arts. I was really impressed by him. And for Fremd, he's not on this level, um, not on the, the, the Anthony Hernandez level, but I thought a decent enough showing, good enough that I'd want to see him again on a fight night undercard next time. Raquel Pennington taking on Aspen Ladd. I really liked what I saw from Rocky Pennington in this bout. I thought she just looked technically sound all over. And she gets the, um, it's a unanimous 29-28 decision win for Raquel Pennington. And I don't, I don't really think Ladd did anything wrong. It was just Raquel Pennington was 
better. You know, like it was just one of those ones. Could Lad have thrown a bit more volume? It's what her corner was calling for. Yes, she could have, but she was getting countered kind of every time she was doing that. And that sucks. I thought her countering was all right, but just every exchange Lad was landing, Pennington was landing more. I thought this was more about what Raquel Pennington did well than what Aspen Ladd did poorly. Um, I, I thought a really impressive showing for Raquel Pennington and definitely worthy of uh, another shot at a top five fighter moving forward. The prelims started on the TV portion anyway. We're not going to get to the fight pass prelims today. It was Mike Malott taking on Mickey Gall. Um, Malott gets the win in the first round. I was impressed with the Canadian kid out of Ontario, UFC debut training with the guys at alpha male. He throws everything really hard and it's not like everything's loaded up. Like it's just kind of natural power when like just the, the hooks just have more hook to them and the jabs had a little bit more of a piston to them. Like I, I just, I was really impressed that everything he threw, it seemed like easy power almost for, for him and for Mickey Gall. This is when wrestling people kind of scoffed at the UFC being this um, amazing pay-per-view draw. One of the things they did was, well, you can't, you can't guarantee that you can build stars. In wrestling, you can give Roman Reigns a two-year title run because you are deciding who is winning these. In MMA, you can put all this investment you want into a prospect and then just kind of don't work out. That's kind of what happens here with Mickey Gall. He's 30 years old now. He has some major names on his resume. He fought CM Punk. He has fought Sage Northcutt when that was a very impressive thing and also a cautionary tale on how to handle prospects. But you just, you see him in the cage and there's a lot of elementary mistakes that he's making on the feet. Like he's charging in on these um, exchanges and he's got his chin super high up in the air, like just begging to be punched in the face. And that's what happened. He came charging in recklessly and got popped. There are, I'm sure, fighters on the UFC roster that Mickey Gall could beat, but I think this kind of shows, okay, we're going to attach the rocket ship to this prospect. That prospect has to follow suit, and he just hasn't been able to live up to some lofty expectations early. Maybe it was too much too soon for him, but it was, there was a lot behind this guy kind of out of nowhere, and I, I just, I don't think the talent is there for him at this point. Uh, moving into the pay-per-view portion on the main card in the strawweight division, it was Mackenzie Dern taking on Tisha Torres. Split decision, 29-28, 28-29, and 29-28 for the winner, Mackenzie Dern. An impressive showing for Mackenzie Dern. I, I thought we saw an improved stand-up game from uh, from Mackenzie Dern. I thought, like, she, she just did a really good job of controlling where this fight was taking place. And... The the th I didn't think she'd be able to do that. I thought against Tisha Torres, someone who is as well-rounded and as physically strong as Torres, Tisha was going to be able to keep this one standing as much and just kind of outpoint her way to a win. But Dern's striking was much improved. I, I don't think she's winning any kickboxing matchups anytime soon. But it was her forward pressure that uh, I think was able to to win her this fight. And then in the second round, pulling guard and then looking for the, the arm submission for the majority of that round really was able to, to seal the deal and really drove home the talent of this fighter. But th this is, I would say, the biggest win of Mackenzie Dern's career. And um, I'm not saying, again, attach Rocket, because you can see some of the issues that may happen when that happens. But um, impressed with what I saw from Mackenzie Dern. Marco Madsen taking on Vince Pichel. I didn't think Madsen was going to be ready for this level, and he was. He gets a 29-28 scorecard from me and from one of the other judges, 30-27 from the others. I I thought a good fight, like a, a good fight. I, I wasn't overly impressed 
by Marco Madsen necessarily. He he was he was good. Like he he was good, but he wasn't like excellent. One of the things that bugged me from this fight was like his corner is just saying take him down and beat him up. Take him down and beat him up. And I just I never like stuff like that. Like Raquel Pennington's corner, I believe it was, had the the cornering advice of put her on her ass. Put her on her head. We need a big finish here. I not that I'm saying like you need to be doing a jujitsu instruction from the corner, but I, I think there needs to be more tactical advice than I ah, just beat him up. Okay, well, can you tell me how? Because that's kind of your job here. So I like Metzen. Metzen looked okay. Um, Pichelle is always going to be tough and always going to be game. And Marco Madsen to, to be able to pass that test is an impressive one. So I'm, I feel like I'm kind of shitting on him a little bit, but overall a fine performance from Marco Madsen, but definitely not someone who is like standing out from the, uh, from the evening. We went into kind of what it meant for, uh, Kamzat Shemaev to beat, uh, Gilbert Burns. I thought, again, from a, a technical standpoint, Kamzat Chemaev, his accuracy is terrifying. The one thing I didn't like, his hands are really low, and he was getting hit with some power shots a lot. And we talked about it before. If Kamaro Usman is finding that chin, if Colby Covington, God forbid, is finding that chin, it might go a little bit differently. Not that Gilbert Burns doesn't have power, because Chemaev clearly has a good chin. I just, I worry about that kind of damage happening long-term. But overall, the accuracy was excellent from Kamzat Chemaev all night and just able to, to walk him down. He's physically strong and he he's aware of the advantages that he has, I, I thought. And a really, really good job for, for Gilbert Burns. All the heart in the world. I, I really like the the counters that he was able to land. He was able to land with a bit of accuracy, but he just he couldn't slow down the forward pressure of Kamzat Chemaev in this fight. And you hope that this gamble that he took as the number two fighter facing someone who no one wants to fight because they don't want to be the stepping stone for the next great prospect. I hope that this doesn't go unnoticed by the UFC. I hope Gilbert Burns gets either an easier fight for his next one and then an important fight or just gets back into a, a spotlight type of matchup because he definitely deserves that spotlight going forward. Um, we also had two title fights on this card. First, it was uh, Aljamain Sterling against Piotr Jan. Aljamain Sterling was exactly what he needed to be in this fight. Again, he controlled the pace of this fight. Piotr Jan is so good when he's able to, to walk guys down and just kind of continue that pressure style. And Sterling never, we said it on Monday, he was able, Jan was able to get in second gear, but never got into that third gear that I think he needed to, 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 to win that fight. Um, I, I, I was so impressed with, with Aljamain Sterling. And he, again, he posted that thing about how you need to, like, this. these are the ways to apologize to Aljamain Sterling. I need to take note because it was it was damn impressive from Aljamain Sterling. I, I wouldn't hate it if we did another rematch. There's some talk now of, of Henry Cejudo. I, I think Henry Cejudo has a, a inflated view of self a little bit. Not that he's not a talented fighter. He is. He's incredibly talented and obviously has improved as a coach as well. But... In terms of him being like this this big pay-per-view draw, I think this is one of those ones we're kind of stuck in our MMA bubble a little bit because I don't know if he is this mainstream guy that a lot of MMA people think that he is. Alexander Volkanovsky with an impressive win over Chan Sung Jung, he just beat the shit out of him. Like there isn't there isn't a whole lot technically to 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 talk about from this one. It was just I said going in, this is one of the most talented fighters I think we see 
in the UFC in terms of well-roundedness and in terms of the brutality that he can consistently bring. And we once again saw that on display here. Um, I, I could not be more impressed with Alexander Volkanovsky. He ends up getting the finish. You would like to see the corner step in and uh, fix things a little bit more, but Overall, and that's on the, the the Korean zombie side. Like I said before, zombie is improved, but he ain't on this level, and we saw that. Coming up this weekend, it is Vicente Luque taking on Bilal Muhammad in the welterweight division at UFC Apex in the main event. An intriguing fight. Uh, you have Luque, who is 21-7-1, Muhammad, who is 23-0. Um, 20 wins, 3 losses, no draws. I... I really like Muhammad. I, I really want him to to take that next step. This is a tough, tough fight and a dangerous fight, I think, for Bilal Muhammad. I don't know how much he gains from this, but Muhammad has had a couple of not fantastic to watch performances in the past. And because of this, I he can't really afford any losses. He's a plus 145 underdog. I kind of like that as an underdog play. I, I think he can go in there and grind out this win over a very good uh, Vicente Luque. In terms of other fights on this card that catch your attention, there aren't a ton of them. A couple Canadians fighting. Jesse Ronson is fighting on the undercard against Hoffa Garcia. Uh, Ronson is a minus 120 favorite, and you have TJ Laramie on the undercard, a plus, th or uh, sorry, on the main card, a plus 360 underdog taking on Pat Sabatini. But this is to me, watch the Canadians and then watch the main event, but this is mainly just a three-fight card on a weekend where we also have Errol Spence Jr. fighting uh, again. Really excited to see that bout. All right, that is going to do it for the week here on Couch Potato Diary. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Should be back in Calgary next week. Should be back on Twitch next week. We'll see with this winter storm that is rolling through southern Saskatchewan right now, uh, but we'll at least be back with a podcast coming out on Monday. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, reminder, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at PrimetimeKlein, and I'm coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Spring into action with Clearwater Cleaning Solutions this spring and get 10% off your booking when you call 403-274-3998 and mention spring promo. Have a good weekend, everyone, and I will talk to y'all later. I'm out.